0: Every week I get fairly nervous before I speak up here, Uh, but this week I would say much more so. I'm about to preach a sermon for World Hunger Sunday based on James chapter 2, and uh, it wasn't until I had actually started working on this sermon and this passage that I remembered a conversation from about a year ago that I had with a pastor from the West Coast about the time 30 years ago when he preached a sermon for World Hunger Sunday on James chapter 2, he said that he had just preached the sermon about how true faith isn't just something you believe, how it's also something you do. Uh, he had talked about how faith needs to translate into action, especially, he said, action on behalf of those who are poor and hungry. And he told me it was a good sermon and after the sermon he got a lot of compliments everybody seemed to appreciate it and he was feeling really good and then it was about noon on that same day and he was the last one left in church and he was getting ready to lock up the doors he was ready to go home he he had two kids under the age of 4 at the time and It had been a a late night, a lot of wake-ups in the middle of the night. He was ready for their nap time. Uh, He was ready to kick up his feet, watch some football, enjoy the afternoon, when he noticed a man standing in the corner of the sanctuary. The man was dressed in pretty ragged clothes, hadn't shaved in a while. He looked pretty rough. And the pastor walked up to the man, and almost immediately the man said, My name is Rick. I haven't eaten in two days, and I'm hungry. Can I have some food? And then Rick paused while the pastor kind of looked around the sanctuary to see if anyone else was still there to sort of bail him out. And as the preacher started thinking of an excuse, Rick looked up at him and said, By the way, that was a good sermon. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. Faith without deeds is dead. I think... James is frightening to read because he dares to say what we all know to be true but which we hope nobody ever calls us on when we're about to go home to watch football. That is that there's something incomplete about a faith that somehow manages to believe all the right things but can never be inconvenienced into action. You ever hear someone point out things like, uh, if every Christian gave 10% of their income to the church or charities, we could put every homeless person in our country in housing. Or we could feed every family that was starving If every Christian volunteered even an hour in their community a week, we'd fill up every slot for big brothers, big sisters. Nursing homes would be packed with visitors. City parks would be spotless. And yet even in our churches, there are young people who are struggling. There are adults who are lost and desperate for a supportive friend. And there are families who are hungry. Meanwhile, you hear people talk about how they're Christians. They talk about their faith. And it seems like their faith is such a small part of their life. Yeah, I'm a Christian. They say, but you know, what I do with my money, that's my business. What I do with my time, that's my business. What I do in the voting booth, that's my business. And I know that I've said versions of those same things, and I've heard them a lot. And each time I hear it, I wonder, what is our faith exactly for? Does it not change anything? See, I think what James is basically arguing is that change is really important evidence of faith. When you see change in someone's life, not a perfect change, not a complete change, maybe not even a very consistent change, but when you see a person make an effort, an attempt to be more loving, an attempt to be more holy, an attempt to to sacrifice for someone else. That's a sign. It's evidence that God is doing something in their heart. I think we would all agree that it is a pretty dim view of faith that we could be made alive in Christ Jesus. We could be taken from spiritual death to spiritual life and the only change anyone would notice in us is where we sit from 10 to 11 in the morning on Sundays. James is saying that if you meet someone who says they're a Christian, but they don't seem even a tick more loving, or even a bit more desiring to be holy, or if they never sacrifice anything for anybody else, it makes you seriously wonder, if they know the whole story of how they were saved sometimes i worry that the only category that matters for us is in or out heaven or hell are you saved or not saved and i'll agree that's a really important category and the only way you get to the saved category i believe the bible says it's by grace it's a gift It's received through faith. You cannot earn your way into that category. But in or out is hardly the only thing that matters for Christians. Frankly, the Bible could have been a lot shorter if that was all that mattered. In or out is fine, but James wants to know if there is more to it than just the words in your mouth and the beliefs in your head. James is arguing that the more you grasp what being in means, the more you should expect your life to change. And he illustrates with the stories of Abraham and Rahab, starting with verse 21. And he says, this is evidence that faith without deeds is useless. I won't get into a ton of detail with uh, Abraham. It's, It's a crazy story. But just sort of broad strokes... You remember God had promised this guy Abraham back in Genesis, uh, I think 22. He promised this guy Abraham that he would make Abraham the, the head of this family so big it would become a nation. And then God said that through that nation he would bless the world. Um, and his descendants, God said, would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Uh, but then for a long time nothing happens. He doesn't have any kids. <laughs> it's kind of a sad nation of one. Um, until finally, he's like a really old man, and he and his wife have their first son together, Isaac. But no sooner does he have Isaac than God says, uh, "Abraham, I want you to go up on that mountain with Isaac and sacrifice your son." It is a crazy scene. His his whole life, he's waited for this son. Isaac means everything to Abraham. God says, "Give him up," and incredibly. Abraham climbs the mountain with Isaac, builds an altar, gets all the way to the point of raising the knife before God stops him. People have said a lot about that scene in the Bible, but what James sees in this scene is that Abraham's faith gave him so much trust in God that he was ready to give up even what he valued most for the sake of his faith. His actions demonstrated faith. Rahab's story is less crazy, but still interesting. She was a Canaanite woman, lived in a city called Jericho. Some Israelite spies came to her house. It was before they were going to to take the promised land and uh, some spies had gone out to check out the land and uh, they find themselves in her house looking for refuge. And it turns out she tells them that she actually believes in their God. She's heard about him and she believes that their God is the true God of heaven and earth. Which is one thing to say when you're in the privacy of your own home with people who agree with you. But then she acts on it. Incredible risk to herself. She hides the spies in her house and helps them escape. She could have been killed for treason. She risked everything because she believed. James says that's what faith can do. It can make us risk takers for God. He says, these actions by Abraham and Rahab justified their faith. As in, like, how do you justify that claim? Or or how do you prove that it's true? And their faith was justified, not just by the words they spoke or the beliefs in their head. It was justified by the actions they took. Their faith was not created by their actions. Their faith was not earned by their actions. Their faith was demonstrated by their actions. It was evidence. James says it should be the same way with all believers. If you have been taken from spiritual death to spiritual life, don't expect perfection yet. I am still very grateful that I am saved by grace. Um, That my countless and daily failures and inconsistencies won't turn God against me. Uh, His love for me will not change. It is steady. But if you've been taken from spiritual death to spiritual life, expect it to change the way you live and the risks you take. I want to end with one point of clarification. So for James, there is a particular kind of risk that is best suited for Christians. Uh, so lots of people take risks for their faith. Uh, these uh, extremists in Iraq and Syria, this ISIS group, um, they'd say that they are risking their lives and taking many others uh, because of their faith in Allah. James's idea of risk taking could not be more different than that. Okay? That has nothing to do with the kind of risks that Christians take. Um, James argues that it will be different for Christians because the starting point for Christian faith is grace. And James thinks that if you have received grace, perhaps the most noticeable change about you will be your concern for the poor. Especially, but not exclusively, fellow Christians who are poor. So I would bet that among the people sitting around you right now, there are people who are hungry this morning uh, or who are lonely. There are people here who have been told, even just this week, that they are more trouble than they're worth. They're inconsistent. They can't be trusted. Uh, They had their chance in life and they blew it. There are people around you who either feel like or who have been told they have nothing to offer. But this is the beauty of the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, automatically, by definition, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to have nothing to offer You know what it's like to be desperately in need of help. But to know that you are more trouble than you're worth. And you know that. Because that is the story of every Christian's salvation. While we were still dead in our sins. That's when God made us alive in Christ Jesus while we were still dead in our sins. James says in verse 5 that God chose those who were poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. It's by grace you have been saved. If you are a Christian, you have been defined by a love that you did not deserve. Someone took a chance on you. God took a chance on you. And James believes, and I believe it too, that if we have been saved by grace, it is not a leap to expect that we would become people of grace to others. Now, do all boundaries go out the window? I don't think so. Um, there's still wisdom and prudence. Love can be, and I think it often is, tough. But for a Christian, there should never be a lack of compassion. We know where we've come from. And even if our love has boundaries, it should never lack for prayer and creativity. Above such law, above such love, there are rarely any higher priorities. You know, that pastor on the West Coast, he ended up inviting Rick to his house for lunch and football that afternoon. And the reason the pastor remembers the story 30 years later um, is that for the next 10 years, Rick would stay for weeks at a time in their guest room. He became an extension of their family. And this pastor told me that it was often great. Um, uh, He loved watching football with Rick. Uh, Rick became a Christian. Uh, Rick was great with their kids. But he said it was also really messy. Uh, Rick still struggled with addictions. He had trouble holding a job. They had fights and disagreements. Sometimes it was Rick's fault. Sometimes it was this pastor's fault. Uh, They had to kick him out of the house a couple times. And yet this pastor told me that it was in this mix of good times and bad that it dawned on him just how God must see us. Promising at times, but maddeningly inconsistent. It's a tough combination to love. And yet we inconsistent and often undeserving people are exactly who our God of grace wants in his family. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for generous hearts. Lord, that your generosity would so deeply affect our bodies and spirits that we would become people of grace to those around us. Lord, it's scary and unknown what real love for those around us is going to mean. Some of us feel like we, we are that poor person ourselves, um, and we're not sure what it means for our relationships with other people either. Lord, I pray for an infusion of grace by your Spirit in this community. I pray that you'd open up our eyes, that you would give us great courage. Lord, that the faith that you have given us The grace that you have shown to us would bear fruit in beautiful action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.